Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that thinks chaos isn't a nasty word, but a way of life, it's Sifpod. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Saturday mornings. We're available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Oh, that's fast. Oh, that's fast. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and I've been waiting for someone like him, someone to challenge me. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. I probably do mentally. Ahoy! (laughs) Each week we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. He sang a song so we could remember it was him. It's T.T. Sternizzi! Hey, T.T. Hey, hey, I'm glad no one's going to ask what song I sang. So that's good. <laughs> I like how you put that out there uh, just to just so that we won't. Uh, uh, so it is it's been a hot minute since we've had you on TT. How has life been? How's stuff going? What's uh, what's what's the deal? Yeah, yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy time. Um, I guess I have to do a shameless plug for myself just because as artistic director of the Over the Rhine International Film Festival. Uh, we had an amazing year. We um, had our fourth fourth year of the festival this past July. Had a great, great time. Brought a lot of filmmakers in. Um, and then literally two weeks after the festival, Movie Maker Magazine, their new issue comes out. And they have a, a list of the 25 coolest festivals in the world. And lo and behold, our little festival was one of the 25 yeah it was let's go get it yeah nicely done so in large part i would like to say 
it was because you know I'm, I'm a great artistic director and you know every every good thing should come as a result of mm-hmm. that yeah of course but there's there's a ton of really great work we have a great team here that i i love working with all my programmers um and we had the the real thrill of again in 2021 having a closing night film that ended up winning best picture uh which probably didn't hurt us all nice. that much either nice. so yeah we um we've been you know kind of riding high off that we're getting ready we just opened up submissions as a matter of fact this week for 2023 so the the whole process starts all over again we're doing year-round programming as well uh so i just want to make sure that everybody knows that if you're looking for great film programming lots of opportunities to you know see great films you know sit back and enjoy a great panel maybe see a film filmmaker or two along the way here in the midwest i come to the queen city that's that's the place nice nice uh very very cool i i wouldn't undersell also your relationship with Sif Pop Podcast uh, and getting on that list. I'm sure that was a huge, huge part of the success uh, of the film film festival. Why do, why do you think I'm here now? <laughs> That's right. So you know where it's at. You know where it's at. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of film festivals, uh, I do want to give an update on something you may have noticed if you're a Sif Pop fan. There was no Sif Pop episode in your feed last week. We did record a second Fantastic Fest episode. It was lost due to audio issues, and one of the most painful things, we did a full review of Triangle of Sadness, uh, as well as Bones and All, and then talked about some of the other stuff that we have seen there. Now, I bring it up not to cause you pain, in case that was something you were interested in hearing us talk uh, about, uh, but just to apologize for the gap. However, I am going to see um, what I can do to do a quick kind of just... Maybe a Sift Swift that might pop up in your feed at some point just over those movies and what happened at the the festival may just be a little bit more of a um, just kind of a, a regular bulletin check-in kind of thing as opposed to um, full reviews. So we'll see. There may be some of the audio that is salvageable. I may see if I can use some of that. Um, but I did want you to know uh, what happened uh, since there was no Sift uh, Pop uh, episode in there. Uh, this week so that was kind of a bummer but overall had a blast at fantastic fest saw a lot of great stuff um and uh excited to uh to have brought that to you guys what movie would you say that you are most excited for the rest of the public to see whenever it comes out the menu no That's no question the menu mm-hmm. is astonishingly good it's so good um it is such my kind of movie um so yeah the menu would be be the yeah, one you that I would and, say. <clears throat> you and Ian praised the crap out of it whenever mm-hmm. I listened yeah. to that episode. Triangle of Sadness is great too. Um, uh, I really enjoyed Triangle of Sadness. Uh, so I, I would definitely keep uh, that one on your list as well. Um, and uh, I think most people, Mar- Marvel's Werewolf by Night is out now, right? Because I enjoyed that a lot yeah. more than mm-hmm. I expected to uh, as well. So um, yeah, so yeah, that was that was really fun yeah. too. So. I was going to save that for next week as my buried treasure. But okay, well, there you yeah. go. No, go for yeah. it. We're not going to talk about it now. It just got mentioned. That's all. Just yeah. got mentioned. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get into uh, the reviews. We've got a couple of movies we want to talk about that just came out. And, of course, the best ever challenge in our buried treasure. We'll get to it all. But let's start by talking about Amsterdam. Harold, I don't know what you think you're doing. Excuse me. Hello. Got a dead white man in a box. Not even a casket. 
doesn't even have a top on it. In a pine box of old wood. Who do you think's gonna get in trouble here? Do me a favor. Try to be optimistic. In the 1930s, three friends, a doctor, a nurse, and an attorney, witness a murder, become suspects themselves, and undercover one of the most outrageous plots in North American history. Uh, Amsterdam is uh, Christian Bale and, well, you know what? I'm not going to name everybody in this cast because it's pretty much everybody in Hollywood. So (laughs) we'll get to the pieces we want to talk about, but it's... uh, uh, David O. Russell uh, coming back and uh, doing some work. So what did you guys think about uh, Amsterdam? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? TT, kick us off. <clears throat> it was just okay for me. And I'm going to say that in large part, it's kind of funny because you mentioned that whole cavalcade of stars that, mm-hmm. that yeah. make appearances along the way. And again, I just felt like, unfortunately for me, the film was just you waiting for the next all-star appearance mm-hmm. you know it 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 in a strange way felt sort of disconnected for me because it was just like this shaggy dog with all of this fluffy fur and again the fluffy fur was all these people that kept popping up and you're like oh i kind of recognize them or oh okay i see where they're going here yeah. whereas unfortunately by the time you wade through all of that and try to get to the story and the idea of parts of the story actually being true it that felt like an afterthought to me in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, and I was surprised uh, mainly because again, David O. Russell has usually been a, a much sharper, more focused filmmaker in my opinion than he is in this particular moment. And honestly, out of the performances themselves, the, the only one that really stuck for me in any, any meaningful way was Christian Bale. And I, I don't know. I've, I'm continuously amazed by the idea of what he does because we kind of know going in that he's kind of a method method kind of guy. Um, but this is the first time I felt like even if he's doing all that method stuff, uh, it felt fun. Mm-hmm. He he really kind of dug into this character and the, and the role, and it it was it was it it was oddly pleasurable for me to watch him because out of everything that was going on and is as unconventional as his character is too, he still felt like more of a center and more, more of something that I could care about in the story than anyone else or anything else that was happening on screen during most of his runtime. Andrew, like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay. <clears throat> I didn't like it. Okay. I did not like it. <laughs> Maybe high side. I didn't like it, but yeah, I didn't like it. You, uh, I'm going to be high side of it was just okay. Um, I, this is one of those movies where <clears throat> people talk about losing the middle. Um, and there is this idea that every movie that comes out, the general populace now, or even, uh, you know, movie criticism tends to be greatest movie ever, worst movie ever. And this to me is the prime example of why that's not the case. This is not the worst movie ever made. There's no. a lot There's a lot of fun mm-hmm. stuff here. Like you mentioned, Christian Bale's performance, I think is really good. I, I am astonished by him and how he does roles um, every time I feel like, you know, he, he becomes someone else, which, mm-hmm. you know, to be that prominent of a movie star and also that good of a character actor is a really fascinating combination. Um, and he's, he's really, really good here. Um, so he's a lot of fun to watch. 
the plot is interesting. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the uh, the true story nature of it in the parts of this that were true fascinate me. Um, so, yeah, I had a good time. But it's also not the greatest movie ever made. There's a lot of flaws here. This There are big stretches where it's like, what are we doing here? This feels muddled. This feels messy. And I just think it's really important to not lose the middle and to not say, yeah, this movie is just okay. I think it's one of the one of our uh, more important ratings that we can give, um, even though it doesn't feel like it. And it feels like, um, you know, that there's so much more interesting when you are passionate about something. And so when you passionately hate something or passionately love something, that it's more interesting. Um, I passionately say this is just okay. Uh, so, and I think that's, that's, that's something that's, that's missing, uh, in the discourse, but, uh, but yeah, I, fervent I meh. <laughs> yes, a very fervent, man. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, the reason I go high side of just, okay, is the fun. I did have fun through, uh, quite, quite a bit of this. Um, and I bought, I bought the central, you know, triad, uh, or thruple if you will, uh, of the movie. I bought them together. I thought that was um, fun. Margot Robbie, John David Washington, and Christian Bale, um, you know, playing that together. But you're right in the fact that none of the other performances really stood out to me um, as anything, you know, worth noting, other than maybe Timothy Oliphant, who's completely unrecognizable in this. Uh, I thought that was fun. Um, they made him not handsome. <laughs> it's hard to do. Hard to do. Yeah. Difficult job, but they did. Yeah, nice yeah. Uh, other thoughts, TT, uh, from the Just OK camp? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I completely agree with everything you said about that that very idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's not the greatest. It's not the worst. And unfortunately, we do forget that you're right. There's that whole middle expanse there. There's a range of films that can fall in there. And you're right. This does squarely fit that criteria. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing or the other performance that is kind of weirdly triggering for me is actually John David Washington. Mm. Um, because I've, I've struggled with the idea of him on screen because he never really pops for me in the way that I, I, I expect and I kind of want him mm -hmm. to. Sure. And this is a, this is another example of that. He's there and he's fine and serviceable in a way. And it, it's, it's unfair to always look at him and think, well, yeah, if your dad was in this role, he would have popped. But right. there's a part of that that's true. Like Denzel was just one of those. He's one of those actors who, yes, as soon as he steps into a frame, he commands the frame. And he, But he's not alone. There are a number of actors that do that. And the when you find someone who doesn't, who, again, is being built up in this way, it's 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 disconcerting because I do. I keep looking at him and I'm thinking if we're looking for like that next Denzel, it's not Denzel's kid. And right. I feel like to a certain extent, he's getting a lot of roles though, because he is Denzel's kid maybe. And there's that expectation that something is going to, it's going to happen. Well, and he's got a lot of his dad in him it. too. Like there are moments where you go, like he'll say something and I'll be like, that is exactly how Denzel would have said that. Uh, so I think there is that almost nostalgia, which is interesting with kids of celebrities where yeah, you, you almost yeah. get to carry on your love of their parents through them on the screen uh, in some way. So I think that might have a little bit to do with it, too. It might. But I think in my case now, I've come to recognize that in, in my head, John Boyega is more Denzel's kid 
than John David Washington. I like it. Because <laughs> every time every time I see Boyega, I'm like, man, he's got it. Like yeah, he pops. I, I get it. Yeah. I get excited when he pops up on the screen and it's like, man, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm looking for. That's that's kind of that that next Denzel thing that you want that he totally has. And again, John David doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, some more thoughts. Uh if I'm going to give any props to this movie, I think that it comes down to uh, set design and uh, costume makeup because there's some prosthetic work going on in this movie that is really, really good. To, to have, you know, so many people with scars or wounds or missing eyes or something like that, and then to have it look not only real, those wounds, but to make the prosthetics look like they're from a, a forgotten time, you know? So I really enjoyed that aspect of the movie. It was probably my favorite part of the movie. And hopefully that doesn't say too much about <laughs> what I thought of the rest of the movie, <laughs> because I thought the rest of the movie in all other aspects was lacking. I really did. I thought the story was lacking. It wasn't as investing. And when I say lacking, like like Aaron said at the beginning, I don't mean bad. I mean, it's just there's there's a lot here that's pretty meh. But it, I guess you could say it became like a, a straw that broke the camel's back of a lackluster. So like the performances out, like outside the triad um was a little lacking it felt like everybody was trying to act as if they were in uh, a different movie like i think that uh, anya taylor joy and rami malek are in a completely different movie than like a timothy oliphant and i think michael shannon and mike myers are in a completely different movie than Robert De Niro, you know, which I, I'll say this. I did really enjoy Robert De Niro's performance. He has a line towards the end of this movie where he's like, whoever is blanking and he just nonchalantly Teddy Roosevelt style just gets angry. That was probably the highlight of the movie for me. I thought that that was really funny. I, I don't know. I, I just, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with liking De Niro's performance here. I do disagree with thinking, feeling like everybody's in a different movie. I feel like the, the performances were fairly consistent in tone um, to each other, and that was one of the things I had fun with. Like the uh, Anya Taylor Joy performance is, you know, kind of that same over-the-top comedic like uh, caricature. Everybody in here is a little bit caricature, right? Like they're a little bit almost satirical. Yeah. It almost borders on satirical, right? Um, and, uh, Mike Myers and Michael Shannon are kind of in that same way. And even De Niro is in that same way. The comment you're talking about is that kind of bordering on, you know, satirical kind of comment from that, you know, kind of character. Um, so the only person who, who didn't feel comedically over the top to me was Taylor Swift, uh, for her part of the show that just kind of felt like a normal performance to me and didn't really, uh, stand out, um, amongst the others, but everybody else felt, and maybe Zoe Saldana felt a little bit um, <laughs> underperformed as compared to everybody else, but I forgot yeah. she was in the movie. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, or Chris Rock. Those, you know, maybe, maybe that. Oh yeah, he's in the movie too. <laughs> <laughs> TT, how would, what do you think about the, the performances in, in the tone? You know, who was kind of uh, there? You know, I think, and, I think there's a there's a point where I would agree with both of you. Like overall, 
the tone of it all kind of felt consistent, but I will say that in those individual pairings or individual character moments that do pop up, it feels like there's, there's a whole other story that I might be interested in maybe if I follow them a little further. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, it felt a little disconnected in that sense that because in these individual moments, yes, I did kind of care about, you know, De Niro's character and what was going on with him. And yeah, in the same way, I was intrigued by, you know, the, the brief bit of Taylor Swift that we get. And I didn't really think that I was going to be that interested in it. But overall, none of it really worked because unfortunately, yeah, we're, I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk about it. And you're like, oh, yeah, Zoe Zaldana's in it. And, oh, yeah, Chris <laughs> Rock's in it. And it's kind of like at some point you're like, oh, crap, that's right. Yeah, the, those those people are there. And they I may have enjoyed like some of their moments, but there's so many of them that after a while, it's just hard to, there, again, there's just not enough to hold on to because it's just so much. It's like trying to grab on the, you know, mm-hmm. a handful of water. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I, for one, enjoyed all the bird watching stuff. Like, that's the kind of stuff in this movie where I'm just like, that running gag, for whatever reason, works for me. And I think there's just so much of it. That it's easy to kind of feel hit or miss by the time you get to the to the end of it. Like some of it hits for you, some of it you know misses, um, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Uh, Andrew, did you have other negatives you wanted to talk about? Uh, Since you didn't like it, well, it was it was a lot of little things. So you know, like I didn't like really the performances all that much. The dialogue, uh, it came across as dialogue and not and not genuine, you know, conversations. It, it, it was like, I'm watching this and I'm like, are they trying to capture a, a, a bygone era of how people used to talk? Because if, if that's the case, it's not coming across as genuine or are they just trying to write something funny? In that case, the dialogue just sounds weird and false. Uh, yeah, it, it felt like a, a movie trying really hard to be a movie. It was difficult for me to place myself in this world and have it feel believable. And and because it didn't really feel believable, uh, I really wasn't uh, all that invested in people's stories. Like, okay, here's a question, Aaron. What is this movie trying to say? Great question. Uh, I was actually just going to talk about that. Um, this this is a movie that I think is trying to convey this idea of you have to be continuously alert. Um, that there there is because there's a big thing in this, uh, which I don't know that I've really seen a movie capture this time where it's like, okay, we're ready to move on from World War One. What there's there, we're not done. <laughs> like you know, like this time in between the Great Wars. Where it's like, okay, time to move on, but maybe not. Uh, And so, yeah, it captured that. And I think the point of that is to be like, okay, it's there's always a place for people to be alert and to um, and to be awake to what's going on around them. And so, I think that's that. It's using this true story of you know this organization. Uh, within uh, America that was leaning towards the idea of dictatorship and kind of following the patterns of some things that were going on in Europe, specifically at that time in Italy with Mussolini. 
Um, it's, you know, that there were, there was a group of people who thought, Hey, this sounds like it. Let's do this with America too. Um, and I use the, the verb was, uh, very knowingly, uh, that it is still something that we deal with. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think that's all of that together is what the movie was trying to say. Now, is it coherent and powerful? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it really hits the the depth and target that it wants to, but I do think it's there kind of lingering underneath, if that makes sense. That was okay. at least what I saw, uh, you know, when I watch it. But I may be doing a lot of work for the movie, too, which I have a tendency to do. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, well, there was something else that you mentioned, Andrew. I'm trying to remember before you asked that question. Uh, Is it about dialogue or no? But that's all right. TT, you got any? Uh, you got any other thoughts? Well, my my only other thought about this is it this feels to me like one of those films. It'd be interesting to to have this conversation like a month from now mm-hmm. and see what still sticks with us. Right. Because again, I think the question of what is it about. You know, again, I've talked about all of the performances and everybody in there. Like, yeah, I'm I'm honestly really curious because I'm I'm worried now. Maybe not worried. That's not exactly the right way to phrase it. But I'm just I'm in my head. I'm kind of like, yeah, like what's going to stand out for me a month from now or two months from now? If someone were to say, hey, did you did you see Amsterdam? And Mm. that's why for me, I think the only thing that mattered was Christian Bale. Because honestly, I feel like I could, I would probably struggle trying to remember anything else mm-hmm. that was kind of taking place or anyone else that was on the screen. I might be able to throw some names out, but I feel like I could throw other names out just because, yeah, there's so many people in this. Like, it's it doesn't feel like you could you could come up with a name that wasn't in there mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. But it didn't mean that they were meaningful when they showed up. Christian Bale was probably the only meaningful performance that i really got out of the film mm-hmm. yeah and yeah I, and and i get the feeling that that'll stay with me a month from now no matter what the More rest of it else. yeah it's yeah. again that'll be that one drop of water that's still in my in the palm of my hand whereas the rest of it it's going to be on the ground yeah uh the other thing i wanted to mention uh is that i think this movie is it, its authenticity suffers a little bit because of its uh, predictability. Um, there's there is an element of this movie where I think it's trying to hide some things from us that are that are way too clear to try to be hidden, um, and and it also hinders, in my opinion, the ability of the movie to say what it wants to say because it's trying to hold some things back uh, for you know story reveal, those kind of things. There's a there's a scene with. Where the characters literally they they comment on some interesting wall art, and everyone in the theater knows there's something under that interesting wall art, but for some reason the characters don't think, hey, let's go look. Um, you know, just stuff like that where it's like, you know, they're they're, they're trying to save impact and reveal for later. Um, I think it it lets the audience get too far ahead of it. Uh, in in some ways, um, with the villains mm-hmm. and the plot machinations. So that was kind of my my other negative uh, that I wanted to mention. Uh, We've got time for one last thing. If either of you have anything else that you want to mention, there's visuals that go on during the first part of the credits, but nothing worth sticking around for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, TT, any last thoughts? Um, 
Yeah, I've I've probably expended all of my thoughts on this. <laughs> there you go. Forever. Not just for this podcast review. Just forever. Uh, all right. Let us move on then. Let's talk about Don't Worry Darling. Welcome to the Victory Project. We're all here because we believe in the mission. What are we doing? Changing the world. What are we doing? Changing, Changing the, world. the world. That's right. What do you think they're really doing out there? What do you mean? The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Where it's safe. Do you even know what the Victory Project actually is? Have you ever asked? Do you? A 1950s housewife living with her husband in a utopian experimental community begins to worry that his glamorous company may be hiding disturbing secrets. Uh, Don't Worry Darling is uh, Olivia Wilde bringing this to us also in the movie. Uh, Florence Pugh and Harry Styles starring Chris Pine in there as well. Uh, This movie has... A whole bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff that has gone on uh, that I don't usually follow, but it was so big that I couldn't even keep from uh, hearing all the the madness happening behind this one. It also has an an unpunctuated title that confuses me um, because apparently, according to this title, there's something called a worry darling, and we're not supposed to, to be that, so... So yes, Andrew, don't worry, darling. Uh, whatever that means. Okay. Um, I will. I promise. <laughs> I will uh, not worry, darling. Yes. Um, so if you ever catch it's me, funny wor- you say that because I'm looking down on my notes and I did put the comma in. So <laughs> <laughs> if you ever catch me worry, darlinging. Uh, yes. please stop me and tell me not to um, alright so yes don't worry darling did you like it love it dislike it hate it or it was just okay uh, Andrew we'll start with you this time man I was hoping for those couple extra seconds where I could finally you know uh, pin pin down my thoughts on this movie because they're, they are a, a plenty I think I'll go with either high side of okay or low side of liked it there's okay. so many issues I have with this movie, but there's so many amazing things that go on too. So I'll, I'll, I'll go right there. I will say as well uh, that I'm kind of right there with you, Andrew. I think I'm going to go high side of okay again and place this in that important middle uh, again for me. I do. There are some things I like about it, but uh, there are definitely some things that I did not. TT, where are you at? Like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay. It was just okay. I'm not going to high side or low side or anything else. It was just okay. All right. Well, let's talk about it. Uh, Andrew, I want you to go first on this. What are are some of the things you enjoyed about Don't Worry Darling? Or excuse me, Don't Worry Darling. Yeah, Don't Worry Darling. Uh, I would say I am very, very impressed with Olivia Wilde and her directorial eye. This is a beautiful movie to look at. Absolutely Mm -hmm. Gorgeous, the the uh, the striking contrast of you know the colors being used, the vibrancy of life in the middle of this desert. Like it's like we get a whole bunch of shots of you know you know the green lawns and the cars and everything, but in every single one of those shots where you see something beautiful going on, they also in the background you can see the desert. You you understand the entire time the confinement of this uh, community. But 
uh, I think uh, I, I would never be invited to live there because I am not a model. Only the most gorgeous people in the world apparently are allowed to live in this community. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just full of great, beautiful colors. And I'll talk uh, performances later, but that's really the thing. I am really, really impressed with Olivia Wilde's uh, directorial eye. I agree with that. Uh, I do think the movie is really pretty to look at, and um, and there are some choices that are made uh, as well, where there are some really subtle, almost subliminal flashes of stuff that she's doing in this that I think is really interesting. There's some conceptual stuff that she's doing here that is that is really interesting as well. Um, I will also say at this point, um, there there are some pretty pretty big story turns. Uh, towards the end that we're not going to spoil here in the the main review. Yeah. Um, I'm open to doing a sif spoil on this if you guys want to, uh, because you know there it might add uh, to some of the conversation. But we can also kind of talk around it, I think. But um, okay. but yeah, it's it is really beautiful. Uh, I also think that Florence Pugh is in now for me that level of actor where I just know they're going to make every project better. Like if, yeah. if she is in it, like mm-hmm. it's it, uh, Charlize is in this level for me where it could be like the, the silliest sci-fi, you know uh, whatever. And Charlize is in it. I'm like, let's go. Like she just makes yeah. everything better. Florence makes this Florence ups this movie two levels. In my opinion, uh, I think she's so good in this um, and really, really enjoyed her performance. TT, what are some of your thoughts? You know, I I am totally in with both of you on the look and feel of it. I think, you know, Olivia Wilde definitely has an eye for this period and this material. And and the funny thing is, Andrew, you talked about, you know, everybody looking like models. And it's true within that community that they do. But I also feel like that's uh, that's like sharp casting, too, because it feels like each of these performers was chosen in some way because they felt like they were of that period. And in particular, I would say, you know, I, I'm not getting into the actual performances themselves, but Harry Styles looks like a guy from that period. And I, I, I spent a lot of time watching the film just kind of thinking, huh, that almost feels like stunt casting in a way because he did. He just, he looked like he fit in that world. Chris yeah. Pine with the, you know, the way that he is kind of styled for, for the film he looks like he's part of that period. And again, yeah, Florence, I mean, she feels like she could be, she could work anywhere, anytime, but as a whole, when you put everyone together, they, they, again, there's, they, they kind of heighten that sense, that visual sense of what you're getting, which I was really impressed with. That's, that's kind of a fascinating combination of things that has to come together and you have to be able to see that. And Olivia and whoever she worked with on the casting side, they knew this world and they knew how to populate that world, which was really fascinating. I think that uh, uh, Nick Kroll is a very attractive man, but I don't know that I would call him like model attractive. So I do think there were some some characters uh, or actors in here that wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be, uh, you know, somebody you would think would you would see on a runway or something like that. But I think, but I think what you're speaking to is how well the movie contextualizes everything. So even Nick Kroll or you know some of the others, 
even though, you know, they may not be models or whatever, they feel like models because the movie contextualizes their presence in such a, um, you know, that, that fifties aesthetic, right? Like that, you know, that uh, slick suit, you know, bright colors aesthetic. So, um, so yeah, I, I totally understand uh, what you guys are saying uh, in that regard. Uh, Andrew, more thoughts. Um, going back to, uh, I think this movie deals with tension in such a beautiful way that uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and just say this real quick. The end of this movie almost ruins the entire thing for me. Okay. I hate the I hate the ending of this movie so much that it's frustrating on a level like conceptually it or execution or both execution, execution. more execution than concept. Okay. Yeah. Because I have, there are so many unanswered questions of things that are done in this movie that are either a rush questions that need answers, like questions yeah. that like that don't make any sense unless you give me an answer that, that helps my brain figure out like, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, but Leading up to this point, I think that this the way I would categorize it is five uh, percent f- uh, uh, setting up, you know, exposition, letting everybody know, you know, where we are, and then ninety seven percent tension, I mean, or ninety three percent tension, and then two percent ending. It's just. It's like five minutes. Here's your ending, blah, and it just throws up all this nonsensical nature to you. Mm. When I say nonsensical, like like Aaron and I said, it makes like sense. It's it's easy to follow, but like once the movie's over, you're like, well, this doesn't make sense, and this doesn't make sense, and this doesn't make sense. And like, if they would have just spent, if this was a three hour movie, I would have been okay with it. And if they had, you know, taken the time to really flesh out this ending and have it be sensical. It, that's just, it's so frustrating. That's the only thing keeping me from loving this movie. Well, it sounds, it sounds like we will definitely do a Sif spoil then. So you can get a little, a little more detailed uh, in that um, because I think there are some things about the ending that are definitely worth uh, talking about. So uh, we will record a separate uh, Sif spoil when we're done here. Um, and, uh, you guys can listen to that. It should be in your feed. Uh, if you've seen the movie or if you haven't, and you just want to be confused, uh, you can listen to it as well. Um, TT more thoughts. Yeah. I think my more thoughts at this stage kind of get into it's in part the ending, but it's, you know, the, the bigger picture for me is this notion that as I was sitting there watching it, and, you know, you go into it expecting the whole Stepford Wives kind of world that you're given and knowing that there's something not quite right behind it all. You know, about halfway through, I was kind of like, OK, this is this is like the Stepford Wives if the Wachowskis were in charge. Mm-hmm. And and I mean that in both the best sense and the worst sense. Um, I, I am a huge, huge fan of the idea of the Matrix trilogy. I have real issues, though, in terms of how some of those elements may have actually played out, not the not the visual execution of it, because, yes, you know, the the sci fi world and everything that happened in the fighting was all fun and interesting in its own way. But once you move past that layer to really kind of looking at the the philosophical framework of the world and what they gave us, it's a there's a great starting point there, but it felt like they weren't quite sure where they wanted to end up. 
And I think that's the same kind of issue that I have with Don't Worry, Darling. I think it, it, you know, on a certain level, we've all talked about how great it looks and how that aesthetic has been set up. But then moving beneath that and digging deeper into that world, it, yeah, you end up with more questions and more, you know, points where you're kind of like, okay, that's not, that's, that doesn't quite work for me. Like, why, why is this not working? Why wasn't this thought out a little bit more clearly and cleanly? And yeah, by the time you get to the end where it's, it is that dump at the end, it's just kind of like, ah, no, there's, you, you've lost me because again, I've gotten further in it and it feels like the, there's something rotten by the time you get to the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was great enough, you know, and it looked great and it felt great for a while that I, I, I feel like you kind of go with the, with the good feelings of that, even as you're sliding into the rot and mm -hmm. the questions that, that emerge in the rot. Yeah. Um, I may be on an island on this negative for me. I'm not sure. Uh, I didn't like Harry Styles' performance. Um, I, I didn't buy it, and I don't know. Like, I can't exactly put my finger on it. Uh, it may be that Florence Pugh was kind of acting circles around him. That might be just the 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 um, the problem of you know uh, standing next to the most handsome man in school or whatever. You know, like there's there's uh, by relation maybe it just doesn't feel as good. But I during during the scenes when he was doing capital A acting, it felt like I'm an actor to me. It didn't, it didn't, I didn't believe the character as much. And I'm not exactly sure why that was. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming by the blank stares that nobody else th felt that way. So <laughs> yeah, sorry, but you're on an Island on that one. I thought he was brilliant. Um, anything else we want to talk about uh, positive or negative? For me, and I don't know if this is the same message you got from the movie, Aaron, but I love this message of seeing isn't always believing. That uh, it, it, it's okay and not only okay, but sometimes encouraged to question, to not have your life be dictated to you, for you to try and find the truth uh, uh, behind the curtain. You know, this... Uh, uh, because it's the sense of community and everything, but I, what am I trying to say? I think that this movie really tackles the, in what it should have ended tackling was um, not to, it's okay to, you know, be a part of a community, but that doesn't mean you have to stop being an individual. And I really, that's something that I don't see a lot in movies. And I really, really appreciated that. And, like I said, I think it does a good enough job, but I wish they would have done maybe just a little bit more of trying to tackle that. Uh, that. There are there are two movie comps uh, that immediately came not to mind for me, both of which I should probably wait till the Sif spoil to talk about, um, just because mm -hmm. they I think they reveal a little too much. However, mm -hmm. I will say this, Andrew, and and I will do much a much more deeper dive into theme <laughs> and subject uh, when we get into the Sif spoil. But I will say this: I loved the message of this movie, and the only issue I had with the message is it's one we've seen many many times before, and that's okay. It's still needed, but there's a real you you mentioned like individualism community that's fine but specifically in relation to gender politics there's some stuff going on here that is very specific and the move you can tell 
that there is a metaphor uh, underlaid here that is that is really important and I think meaningful as we think of gender and relationship to sexism and those kind of things. Um, but isn't that all rushed? It, it is a little rushed. It is absolutely a little rushed. And again, it's a little it's a little on the nose. And that that doesn't bother me as much as it, it bothers some people. Um, but, uh, because I think it's important and it, I think it's okay to be a little on the nose sometimes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I will talk about that more, uh, in the sip spoil for sure. Yeah. There was no subtext whenever we're talking about that aspect of the movie. It, <laughs> it's right there blatant in your face. And that, that's not me saying that it's not something that needs to be discussed. I'm just I, saying that the, like you said, they're not, they're not shy about what the, the that vast, part of the, movie. the vast majority of it is right there on the surface. I do think there mm-hmm. is some subtext, uh, with specifically with where the movie ends, uh, where the metaphor becomes a little bit deeper, a little more interesting to me. Um, I can't but, wait to, to <clears throat> but yeah, we'll talk about that. that. Sip spoil. I'm, I'm looking forward to this now too. We better, we better get moving. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, fire up the sip spoil episode then, if you're interested in that as well. Anybody have one last thing to say uh, about? Don't worry, darling. No post credit scene. Nope, there is none. Uh, TT, any final thoughts? I'm ready to spoil. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We will get there. Uh, My final thought is just put Chris Pine in every movie. He's, he's so fun. I I love him. Um, All right. Real quick. That is great casting for Mm -hmm. that character too. Mm -hmm. Very handsome, very charismatic man. Like you would believe he would be uh, like a leader of a community. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. And uh, I follow him. He's that handsome. I go, <laughs> yeah, he's got to know what he's talking about. You heard it here first. Uh, Andrew will be in the Chris Pine cult. Pro cult. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, before we head on to the Best Ever Challenge, just a thank you, huge thank you to our Sif Pop members. Love you, appreciate you. We are still going through House of Dragon. Uh, in the Sif Pop member show, uh, we covered a few episodes uh, because of the Fantastic Fest uh, weeks. Uh, so if you're interested in that or any of the other uh, fun little things that we do for our members, you can check that out at patreon.com slash siftpop, S-I-F-T-P-O-P. And uh, thank you so much for doing that. It means the world to us. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep. Thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. But I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep. I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow. That's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. 
everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. All right, let's move on to the best ever challenge. Uh, We're doing best ever movies with a city in the name uh, in uh, honor of Amsterdam. So we will go number five to number one. Uh, and then maybe do some honorable mentions as well. There are plenty of these. Uh, so, um, TT, why don't you kick us off? What is your number five? <clears throat> My number five, and I, I, I'm honored and proud of the idea that there are probably only a handful of people that are going to have seen this film, and that's quite all right. Um, the Polish Brothers, Twin Falls, Idaho. Oh. 1999. I... I was thrilled with the when you when this opportunity came up to use this title because I've it's one of those one of those really random indie titles that I've always kind of loved. I like the Polish Brothers a lot. Um, I also like them to be quite honest because they've also worked with Stuart Matthewman from Shot A. He's done music for a bunch of their films, and that just felt like a match made in heaven. They've they've got really weird, quirky sensibilities that all come together, and in this particular case for this film. They play a couple of twins, conjoined twins, whose relationship gets upended when one of them takes interest in um, a, a woman, and you kind of get to see what happens, you know, to these these two guys as this happens. And more importantly, it's also the fact that the brothers themselves play the twins. So you 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 get this sense as you're watching them, you can completely feel the relationship between them, um, and to be quite honest, the whole notion of this being that kind of small and, and intimate a, a story, it doesn't feel like it could happen anywhere other than Twin Falls. So nice. there you go. That was that was it for Twin me. Twin Falls, Idaho. Love it. Andrew, what's your number five? Well, it's Western. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I'm going to go with 310 to Yuma. That's going to get trumped. Mm-hmm. Ooh. 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 All right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so now for my number, number five, five, which also yes. might get trumped, not sure, because uh, all these movies are so good in my opinion. Grand Budapest Hotel is what I have at number five. Very um, good pick. Uh, Very good pick. One of my favorite Wes Andersons. Uh, I I really and this one kind of so Moonrise Kingdom when I saw it, I loved immediately, and you know uh, hadn't really had that kind of experience with a Wes Anderson movie where I just loved something wholeheartedly immediately. Uh, Grand Budapest is the normal Wes Anderson thing. Well, I, I guess uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox I kind of loved immediately as well. But Grand, pa- Grand Budapest is the the more common thing for me with Wes Anderson, which is watch it, enjoy it, and then I just can't stop thinking about it. And just can't stop thinking about scenes and performances and have to go back to it. And it's just it's a really fun time, really great performances in an interesting story. So, yeah, Grand Budapest is my number five. Very good. Uh, on to our number fours. TT, what is your number four? Uh, for me, it's ATL. Um, okay. That came out in 06. Uh, we had been in the middle of kind of this whole really weird re- rediscovery of like s- skating films and roller mm-hmm. skating and what all of that meant. Um, I can't ever really say that I was a huge fan of T.I. as a rapper, but all of a sudden I really enjoyed seeing him. In this film, there was something really kind of fun and relaxed about what he was doing that was, it felt completely separate from the persona that we had gotten from him 
And really when I say persona, it's again, it's especially with hip hop, it's really all about performance. So this was a completely different performance from him. And one that honestly, I was kind of like, wow, I wish I could, we could see more of these kinds of performances from, you know, hip hop artists who, you know, realize that they don't have to be that hardened version that they've presented of themselves to the world. They can do other things. And again, for a guy who can't even roller skate that well, like I said, for me, it, it, it still always gets back <laughs> to the roller skating. Like there's just something about that world. And as a kid growing up, I remember the roller skating rinks and the fun of that of that time period in that world and to be able to have a chance to kind of rediscover it like I said, even though I wasn't that great at skater um there was just yeah there was just some nostalgia for that that uh kind of took me over the top nice nice Andrew what is your number four my number four uh is all about four men and it takes place in one night in Miami that is also my number four. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, my four favorite performances of that year are these guys. I mean, every single one of them is just chewing up scenery. They are just so brilliant. I think uh, Kingsley Benadir and uh, 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 Leslie Odom, the, cat, or the, uh, the Sam Cooke and uh, Malcolm X, dichotomy just going back and forth oh, oh it's it's so good it's so amazing regina king is she's you know one of the most talented people in hollywood uh it's so well directed it's i mean the the opening scene with uh uh aldous hodges and uh what what's his uh oh Bo bridges uh is mm-hmm. such a unique way of starting off uh, a movie like this because it some people say that they they saw where that scene was going immediately and it it caught me off guard i'll admit maybe i just had my white blinders on or something but whenever he's like we don't allow in the house and i was like oh oh okay because he was praising him and like showing love and love i guess uh you know leading up to that and just talking about oh you're gonna do great things in college you know but then there's that it's easy for and you see it a lot in movies where they paint racism as just blatant you know and uh right there in front of you but uh it i i as a white guy don't see a lot of subtle racism racism in movies and i think that this movie does a good job of showing all sides of uh what what it must have been like to uh, have to live in the uh this era and uh i think it's a brilliant movie from beginning to end one of my favorites uh it is essentially a people in a room talking movie and those are hard to do Um, yes. and, uh. and yet it is captivating and compelling. Um, and I think it really is uh, a lot of the nuance and the, um, the conversational texture that's going on, um, between these black men in this era. And I just, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful experience for me and uh i've watched it several times um and again not something easy to do with the people talking in a room movie where i want to watch it over and over again um but 
but yeah, one night in Miami is one of my favorites. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, on to our number threes. <laughs> TT, what do you got at number three? All right, I got. Uh, I'm getting a little more conventional as I go along. I'm gonna <laughs> go with Philadelphia mm-hmm. at number three. Very um, good pick. And I go with Philadelphia mainly because I'm. There's, you know, I I lived in Philadelphia literally at the time that this was made, so I got to like leave work and would be doing evening runs after work down in Center City and got to run by locations as they were shooting this film. So, Wait, is everybody from Philadelphia, Boston, or Chicago here? Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Reference to Don't Worry, Darling. Uh, apologies to those who didn't see it. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. But, yeah, so, I, like I said, again, it has a, you know, kind of a, a weird hometowny kind of texture for me in that respect, even though I'm not really from Philadelphia, but I went to school there and spent a lot of time there. So, yeah, that was, that was great. But there's also the part of me now that, unfortunately, as I think about this film, and I haven't watched it in a minute now, but it's one of those films I, I, I feel like I would like to go back to now, because in today's world, I'm not sure that this film gets made in the same way. Yeah. And that leads to an interesting kind of question um, philosophically, like for, for me, but not just as a critic, but also as an artistic director of a festival that's all about diversity and, and, and inclusion. Um, just the idea that, like I said, I don't think this film gets made with this cast if they were in their primes today, mm-hmm. um, because of again the the questions that we would look at in terms of how do you how would you authentically cast you know the Tom Hanks character Antonio Banderas, um, but does that take away from the work that they gave us in this film, which came out in 1993? Not at all. Right. It's incredible work and it was an incredibly meaningful film at the time that it came out in. And I'm not sure that that means that it shouldn't still have the same kind of meaning even in today's world. Yeah. Um, But I think it's like I said, I think that's a meaningful kind of question that we need to be looking at and thinking about um, as we continue moving forward and and grappling with all of these issues. Yeah. Good choice. Uh, Andrew, what do you got at uh, number three? Well, T.T. was talking about how Philadelphia would be made differently today. I'm going to talk about a movie that I don't know if it could be made today. (laughs) Let's go with In Bruges. Oh, yes. In Bruges. Definitely my honorable mentions. Yeah. Uh, Talk about a movie that doesn't offend a single person, group, country, community, anything at all. It is totally without any... You mean doesn't uh, fail to offend? No, I was going sarcastic. But. Oh, I see. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. This is an insanely offensive movie, but it offends everybody equally. Um, I think this this probably is the movie where I was like, oh, so Colin Farrell can act. Like he's got some acting chops on him, and the the uh, the chemistry between him and Brendan Gleeson, uh, it makes me so much more excited for uh, the Banshees of Inishirin. Or the Banshe- I, I, don't know to- I believe it's the Banshees of Ed Sheeran. Uh, I believe. Ed she- is, oh, yeah. Ed Sheeran's Banshees. Okay, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So that makes a lot more sense now. Okay, yeah, uh, but yeah uh, their chemistry is so good, and Ray Fine <laughs> swings for the fences with this one. Yeah, I love this movie. It's so funny. I mean, it makes me cry. I laugh so hard every single time. Uh, it's so brilliant. And Bruges is so uh, important. 
Uh, fun fact, uh, I showed this movie to my parents, uh, not knowing how they would think of it. They loved it so much, they took a vacation to Bruges. So, oh, wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and Bruges movie. is really, really good. Um, Banshees is also really, really good. Uh, so, yeah. So, Both Martin McDonough's, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 Get the team back together. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number three is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. It is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, and I think it's mostly because it's his most optimistic uh, movie. Um, and I just, I really love the characters. I really love the scenes. There are a couple scenes in this movie that Tarantino gives Hitchcock a run for his money. Um, like oh. with the way he directs mm-hmm. tension. Um, so I know what scene you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely wonderful stuff. Um, I really enjoy Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, all right, number twos. What do you got, TT? Uh, number two, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Oh, good choice. Yeah, I, I, I was again, and as I think through, you know, some of my favorite Woody Allen films. Uh, that later period of his um, definitely has uh, like the really interesting, meaty, strong material in there. Um, and again, I just love the idea of the cast in this one too. I mean, again, you're getting Javier Bardem, Penelope Cruz, and Scarlett Johansson all together. Um, you know, you've got an Academy Award winner out of the bunch here for for a performance here. Um, God, just talk about like one of your sexiest cast ever. Mm-hmm. Like that's it, and you know, like you can't go wrong with it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So Woody, Woody, Woody has proven that again. You know that that later period. Unfortunately, he he went through that period and then came out the other end, and we're back to some of the questionable films and the idea now that you know it looks like he's finally gonna gonna hang it up. Um, there's a there's definitely a part of me that wishes that he had hung it up, you know, a little sooner so that we could have had uh, had the opportunity to treasure, you know, a film like Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Um, and who knows, maybe there's a teaser for Woody Allen to come for me in this list, too. Oh, interesting. Uh, Andrew, what is your number two? My number two is the 2005 film from St- Steven Spielberg, Munich. Mm-hmm. Definitely my honorable mm-hmm. mentions. Um, I it, it's weird. I think out of all of Spielberg's movies that I can think of right now off the top of my head, this one feels like the least Spielberg-ish movie. It feels more like a yeah. uh, Malcolm Mann or a Sam Mendes type of movie. There's there's that that un like a low dull uneasiness through the entire thing. I think Eric Bana is brilliant. There are so many people who are in this movie that you're like, oh, you were in this movie? It's, it's because they, were, uh, they weren't big, like Daniel Craig really wasn't that, that big of an actor, or uh, Kieran Hines. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a true story, obviously. It's about the founding of Israeli's Mossad. It's after the Black September attacks on the Munich Olympics, which was just a devastatingly terrible thing that happened. Um, and it's all about, uh, this is about revenge. That's this not for you, but for your country and, uh, for your people. Uh, but it does, but it doesn't shy away from the politics of both sides. It does a really good job of showing, you know, 
Israel's and then side and then uh, the uh, what would it what would it be uh, not Pakistan but uh, uh but the Palestine the, uh, Palestine thank you yeah uh, the, the Palestinians view on things as well so yeah I think it's a brilliant movie uh, tension perfection it's it's great. Yep, Munich's a good one. Definitely one to check out. Uh, my number two is where I had 310 to Yuma uh, at number okay. two. Um, well, I so, got that high trumped on a uh, on a Western. Yeah, I need you to, know me. Me and my I'm Westerns. I'm getting my card, Love getting my my card taken. Uh, yeah, this movie's so good. Um, it's uh, Now, Andrew, I guess I should have, before I trumped, I should have said, are you talking about the... Original? It's the new one. Okay, the new Not one. Not the 57 one. I'm talking about the okay. Christian Bale. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, I, I assumed you were. Um, but, yeah, the Russell Crowe, Christian Bale uh, performances are both amazing. Ben Foster, uh, kind of where I fell in love mm-hmm. with Ben Foster. And oh, yeah. He's just, he's so good yeah. in this. It's um, his best role. And it's just, it's a, it's just a compelling mile a minute uh movie and i'm just i you know always love watching it so yeah 310 to you was my number two i think it's the best western of this century the hotel like from the best western what? of this century <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> it took me way too long to get that one <laughs> But no, I think uh, from 2000 till now, I think that 310 Yuma is the best Western. James Mangold, uh, he understands Westerns. And you can see that in his movies that aren't mm-hmm. technically Westerns. Definitely. Logan feels like a Western. It's, he, even, he Ford, has a great, even Ford v. Ferrari is kind of has a like a showdown yeah. feel to it. Like, yeah. It really does. Uh, he, uh, again, Christian Bale, uh, yes. giving a great performance. Uh yeah, this if if you're not a Western fan, and we're going to be talking about another one uh, in a little bit, um, but I think this is a good one to start, like uh, like a good jumping off point into westerns. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right, time for our number ones. Uh, TT, what do you got at the top of the list? All right, I already signaled that I'm going Woody, and it's Midnight in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably for me, as much as I expressed all that love for Victor Cristina Barcelona, I feel like this and, and this is probably the, the the peak for me with Woody. That's uh, 2011. Um, there's this lightness of spirit. It's again, you know, taking Owen Wilson's character as a as a novelist who's you know struggling and trying to figure things out. He goes back to the 20s, and all of a sudden, you've got this cavalcade of of literary icons, artists of all types that he gets to encounter and talk with. And again, part of the fun was in seeing all of these different char- you know, actors in these roles. Tom Hedleston, uh, Adrian Brody's in there as Salvador Dali, which the Salvador Dali scene alone is one of those it just always leaves me with a, a huge smile on my face. Um, in a lot of ways, the issues that I had with Amsterdam, I don't have with this film at all. And they're kind of doing similar kinds of things, but yet there's something about it. The tone, everything kind of holds together. It's also really interesting that it's, it's, you know, again, Woody's never necessarily been one for like spending so, you know, too much time on a story. He's not going to give us these really long films, but the great thing is midnight in Paris is, is a pretty hard, 94 minutes it it packs a lot in it, you get the story you know where you're you're supposed to go by the end 
And that's just, again, great, sharp storytelling that, again, there's not a lot of, there's no fat in there at all. So it, it definitely stands up for me. And I, it's one of those songs I almost kind of wish that, yeah, if he had stopped here, it would have been a great career. Yeah. Midnight in Paris in at number one uh, for TT. Andrew, what do you got at number one? Um, you guys know me. I love performances above all else in movies. So I'm going to go with a movie that has two of the best actors of all time in it. That's Gangs of New York. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is who I consider the greatest actor to ever live. Uh, he, The performance he gives in There Will Be Blood is the greatest performance of all time. If In my greatest uh, performances like uh, list that I have, if I didn't already have Daniel Day-Lewis once on there already, this would probably be the other movie where I say, yeah, this is one of the greatest performances of all time. Bill the Butcher is such a terrifying character. And it, it kind of feels like it's it's very weird, but looking at where they are and their careers at this point, it kind of feels like for a lot of this movie, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's character, Bill, is kind of being the mentor to Leonardo DiCaprio's Amsterdam. And it kind of feels like they're t- he, like Daniel Day-Lewis is kind of like passing a baton to DiCaprio. Like, okay, you can be the greatest actor in the world now if you want. I'm going to, you know, start to, you know, uh, pull the lever back on my, on my acting career. And this, the story, well, it's so insane. And to think that a lot of what is going on is true, like not the personal stuff, but you know, like the, uh, the, the raids on New York to protest civil war and t- stuff. It's, it's insane. It's, it's, Martin Scorsese at his best. Literally, this is a top five movie of all time for me. Gangs of New York in at number one for Andrew. Yes. Uh, My number one. Is it a cheat? I don't know. I don't think it is. I don't think it's a cheat because I think the intention is in the title. Uh, I'm going with La La Land. uh, Okay. I was going to allow that. (laughs) Which is L.A., uh, yes, which uh, I do think is an intentional uh, part. Oh, of it's one hundred percent intentional. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, La La Land is it, it's it's another nickname for Hollywood. So sure, yeah. sure. Um, so yeah, I love this movie. It is well known how much I love this movie. Uh, I am until proven otherwise a Damien Chazelle disciple. Uh, I think he makes nothing but uh, incredible stuff. So. This yeah. is no different. Um, just not only an like honoring or homage to old school musicals, but actually managed to to pull off a great old school musical himself. Um, the music is great. The performances are great. Uh, Emma Stone is just astonishing in this. That audition scene that she does. Both is, of them is yes, but actually both of them. You're absolutely correct. Are some of the greatest moments uh, in film for me. Um, so yeah, I I can't talk about La La Land enough. Uh, love this movie. So that is my number one. <laughs> you're not. You're getting a little bit of flack in the chat there, Aaron, for putting La La Land. <laughs> but I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Thank you. I it's appreciate a, it. It's a brilliant pick and a would, brilliant movie. Would it, would it help if I pronounced it L A L A Land? Uh, would there that you would go. that help? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, all right. Let's talk about honorable mentions. Uh, I have 15. I will let you guys go first, and I will clear it. Wow. Up. Wow. Uh, here's here's the thing. 
I picked 13 movies that I think are phenomenal. Like brilliant, brilliant. Uh-huh. I didn't just scrape the bottom of the barrel. No, so. I, I limit I limit myself to ten. Uh, that is the most honorable mentions I will will ever uh, write down. Once I get there, uh, I'm just like you know you know we, we there is a limit. But hey, fifteen. You do you, Andrew. But like I said, I'll let you guys go first, and I'll just start taking them off my list as they go. What do you got? What are some others that you thought of? You know, honestly, you guys had films on your list that i was like yeah th- those are again in bruges grand budapest and again i'm you know andrew i'm still just as floored as you by one night in miami uh, yeah there's so much to that and again you know we've already you guys already talked about the idea of just how difficult that film is with the notion of it being people in a room talking yeah. and for it to be as engaging as it is all of the performances are top notch. You, you, again, you can, it, it feels like at any given time, you could sit down and watch that film and just focus on just one of them. Mm-hmm. And you're going to oh. get, it's, 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 it's a masterclass from yep. each and every one of them. So yeah, for me, that was, that was the strongest title for me that didn't make the list. But, you know, yeah. again, I kind of, I kind of admittedly started off like with the idea that, yeah, this was going to be kind of a, an, an oddball list for me so yeah if, <laughs> but if i if i had to leave the oddball side of this behind yeah one night in miami might have been number one for me yeah that was my favorite movie of 2020 yeah yeah um uh, uh let's see how about belfast i think is worth worth mentioning um yeah. that's a good movie straight out mm-hmm. of compton i love straight out of compton um I just rewatched that uh, last week. Yeah, yeah. Holds up, man. It's so good. It's very, very good. Uh, Trial of the Chicago Seven, I think, is good. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. L.A. Confidential certainly worth mentioning. Ooh, uh, yes. such. I mean, yes. that was uh, uh, like my number two. Almost made my list. I'm sorry, I mispronounced it. Law yeah. Col- Confidential. Law, Law Co- yes. Confidential. Law Confidential. <laughs> um, so, uh, wow, Fargo. Have to mention Fargo. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, and Dunkirk I think is worth mentioning as well. Um, yeah. Great film, uh, Andrew. How many did we tick off of your fifteen? I'm down to eleven. All right, let us let us have it. Tombstone. That was the other okay. western. Fair I enough. think that is like a great western. If you've never seen a western to start off with, uh, thirteen hours. The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Eight. Okay shockingly underrated Michael Bay movie that I think has a lot of heart and a lot of tension. It's really well done. Palm Springs. It's, mm-hmm. Yes, definitely yeah. worth mentioning. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop, Dallas Buyers Club, mm-hmm. The Darjeeling Limited. I like that Wes Anderson movie. I'm the only one in the world that does. <laughs> You're um, not the only one. Yeah. Just maybe the uh, only one here. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Gettysburg. If you have uh, five hours to watch it, it's great. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just watched a, a couple weeks ago a documentary on Hunter S. Thompson, and that guy, he lived day life. <laughs> yes, yeah. he did. That is yes. that is not a lie. Yeah. Uh, Letters from Iwo Jima. Uh, okay. I think this is a really good movie. Like you guys know, I'm a Clint Eastwood fanatic. So, um, Rumble in the Bronx. This is my favorite Jackie Chan movie. Like out of all nice. of them. Yeah. And then finally, Selma. Yeah. Yeah. Good choices. Mm-hmm. Very nice. 
Uh, all right, that'll take us into our buried treasure. What is that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to make sure people know about? I will kick us off. Um, worked my way through a Hulu original recently um, and really, really enjoyed it. So I wanted to pass it along. It's been out for a while. So it's probably something uh, that has faded into the background if you didn't watch it when it was uh, first came out. But this is Andrew Garfield in Under the Banner of Heaven. Um, this is a story of a Mormon police officer in Utah and his non-Mormon partner as they kind of dig in not only to a, a murder mystery, so to speak, um, but also into how the religion of Mormonism has impacted this, uh, specifically fundamental Mormonism, uh, has uh, impacted this case and what happened uh, with this murder. Uh, it's about a Mormon family um, who had some of their family members descend into extreme Mormon views. And uh, it's really fascinating on a couple levels for me. I think, first of all, the performances are astonishing and the story itself is uh, worth um, paying attention to. But it's also fascinating on the exploration of Mormonism and its foundations, its beliefs, uh, those kind of things. It's uh, a very young religion, uh, you know, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, I think Joseph Smith started it in the eight, mid-1800s, early 1800s. So, yeah. you know, we're just looking at a couple hundred years. Uh, Joseph Smith it, was a prophet. That has ex it has existed. So I found all of that very fascinating and very interesting to uh, to kind of dive into. Uh, also, Daisy Edgar Jones uh, in there as well, who I love. Sam Worthington, who's going to be back in the spotlight here with the Avatar movies coming out. Um, again, doing really good work in this. Uh, Roy Culkin is great in this. Um, Wyatt Russell, who uh, you know we've seen recently in a few things, is really doing. Some some really great work here. So, yeah, great cast, great performances, really interesting story. If Under the Banner of Heaven kind of missed you, uh, it's a, a really good true crime kind of exploration. So you might want to check it out. It's interesting because this is uh, written and an episode, I'm assuming the pilot, is directed by uh, Dustin Lance Black, who uh, I was first introduced to his work whenever he wrote uh, Milk the Sean Penn movie. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this sounds like a, it, it's not, it doesn't sound like the thing that I would have expected him to uh, write, but uh, you have piqued my interest because I do remember when this came out and it was one of those, do I start this? Do I not? Yeah. And I'd never heard anybody say anything about it. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll just pass on it then. Yeah, I'm finally starting to be able to work my way through some of the stuff, some of the prestige TV kind of stuff that I, I missed um, over the spring and uh, in summer. So this was one that I threw on and wanted to let people know about. So, well, that yeah. sounds nice because I am backlogged on so much TV. You can't help it. There's too much. <laughs> There's just too much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew, what do you got for your uh, buried treasure? I am going to go with a HBO show that came out all the way back in 2016 called The Young Pope. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'd never seen it before, but I started watching it. Now, I'm not done. And I know that there's uh, like another miniseries after it called The New Pope, mm -hmm. which I haven't seen, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, holy crap, this <laughs> might be some of the best writing I've ever seen for a television show. Um, the way this tackles 
um, uh, the Catholic Church. And I, I I'm glad I, I've started watching this after I've watched uh, the two popes, the Anthony Hopkins, mm-hmm. um, and I forget the other gentleman's name. Forgive me. Uh, I, I'm glad I watched it after that because that movie kind of dabbled into the political aspects of the uh, the Roman Catholic church and it's something that you I didn't expect it to uh to tackle but this show does it forgive the pun but I think it does it with grace like it's it doesn't make a mockery of the church which I, at least as somebody who isn't catholic I don't see it as intentionally trying to be blatantly you know uh a bashing of the uh, of the church, but the political aspect mixed with the theological aspect is so fascinating. And this this new pope coming in with the radical ideas. By the way, Jude Law, brilliant. Oh, he's so good in this show. Um, yeah, just seeing um, his views, and it's funny because you would expect a young pope coming in to the church to have you know new fundamental uh, new age ideas and he ends up being like the exact opposite he's more along the lines of what we'd expect uh, of a pope in the medieval times he's like very uh, stringent to the word of god and uh, yeah i think the performances by, by him and diane keaton are perfection and i also love uh, uh, uh james cromwell as well in this nice so. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things. Uh, by the mm-hmm. way, Jonathan Price played the uh, the other Pope in the two Popes. Thank you. Uh, That's right. So yes. People know that. T uh, T, you are our guest. Finish us out. What is your All buried right. treasure? My buried treasure is is kind of a weird choice because it's actually not the film itself that's the buried treasure. It's the subject that's the treasure, and it it's going to be obvious, but. It's the new Apple TV, I mean, Apple Plus movie, Sydney. Um, I was able to catch Sydney at the Toronto International Film Festival, the, the opening night screening there. It was one of those special moments, of course. You know, you've got Oprah who comes out on stage to help introduce the film. She tells us she hasn't come out and done anything in front of an audience like this since COVID. But she's like, of course, I'm going to come here and do it for Sydney because she loved him so much. She's a producer of the film. The, uh, a good chunk of the film is based on interviews that she did with him that she handed over to the team that was putting this together, you know, Reginald Hudlin as director and then his entire team. So it's, it's amazing. And the film itself, obviously, is tackling an icon. But again, like I said, the, the thing that has happened for me since seeing it in Toronto and then actually coming home and watching it with my wife on Apple TV is the conversations that I've had since then with people of kind of our generation who had not seen some of those classic Sidney Poitier films. So that, like I said, really the treasure is in seeing this and then kind of looking back and thinking, well, wait a minute, I haven't seen Lilies of the Field or the Defiant Ones, you know, or even moving ahead to, you know, Uptown Saturday Night and Let's Do It Again. And, you know, it barely gets mentioned at the end of the film, but he also directed Stir Crazy. So all of a sudden, you know, you're the, the, like I said, the treasure is in really kind of thinking, going back and saying, well, if I haven't seen these films, maybe I need to go spend the time, you know, digging into 
the the filmography of of this iconic guy because again what you're going to see is you're going to see this incredible look at pretty much everything that we would think about in terms of film as a whole i mean he's going to give you the the strong dr dramatic kind of presence he was also we we've come to recognize an incredibly funny and humane person as well and again all of all of those aspects of who he was are it, they end up either when he's in front of the camera or when he's working behind the camera. So like I said, yeah, that the idea of the treasure is and just making sure that you go back. And if you haven't seen some of those iconic films, yeah, this is, this is it. That, that, that opens that, that treasure chest for you that you can spend, you know, a, a good bit of time kind of really looking at it and, and really appreciating American cinema as a whole. Nice. Well, I had no idea that there was a Sydney Portier documentary out, and now that I do, I'm going to watch it as soon as we're done here. Nice. <laughs> I love, I love that guy. He's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, he tells he tells a lot of stories in there, and again, it's it's great because you're getting the stories directly from him, which is another really special and poignant kind of piece of of what they do in the film. So, have fun with it. Yeah, sounds amazing. That is Sydney. It is on Apple TV Plus. Uh, the Young Pope you can find on HBO Max, and Under the Banner of Heaven is available on Hulu. Well, congratulations to all of us. We did a podcast. Well done. Um, yeah, we have met our goals. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's celebrate together the meeting of such goals. Thanks so much for joining us today. Sif Pop is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Thank you, buddy. Big thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. Uh, and thank you to TT for hanging out with Woo! us today. Uh, where would you like people to uh, check you out online? Uh, you can go to TerrenceTodd.com. That's the easy place to find everything. And I would say you can go to Twitter at TTSternNZ, but I don't really put much out there. So, yeah, Twitter's probably not the place to find me. Go to the blog, TTSternNZ.com. You'll get it all. Nice. Nice. There you go. Uh, we appreciate you, TT. Always good to have you on. Uh, hope to have you on again soon. Uh, much love and gratitude to our Pop members. For giving monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing, support starts at three bucks a month. You get access to bonus episodes at certain levels, as well as some other fun perks. Um, find out more at patreon.com slash siftpop. Lots of ways to connect with us. Feel free to leave a comment, a rating, or a review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. Um, you can even email us, feedback at siftpop.com, if you want to send us an email. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show, too. So let them know about it and that listening is much easier than seeing that amazing meal you cooked thrown on the floor. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's just a difficult thing. We'll be back next week, I think, with Halloween Ends and probably something else as well. And uh, we will Aaron. see you then. <laughs> hey, listen, I don't, I, don't, I don't set the schedule of movies. We got to do what we got to do. At least okay. it's going to end, apparently. At least it's going to end. Uh, <laughs> it's I'm never having... gonna end. <laughs> it's never. never. Gonna end. I just started having Vietnam flashbacks of last year when we had to sit through mm -hmm. Halloween kills. Atrocity. Yeah. 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 Maybe this one will be amazing. Uh, uh, we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep. Thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep. I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow. That's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.